Well, good morning and welcome to Grace Fellowship Juniata. Thank you so much for joining us this morning. Whether you're watching on YouTube, Facebook, or Twitch, we just want to say thank you for being a part of our church service today. I got to tell you, this is our fourth and final week in The Grudge, and I am really going to miss this sermon series. Not just because I absolutely love the opening intro, I think that promo is one of the best that we've had in a long time, but also because when I think about the things that we've covered during this time and the comments and the feedback that I've been getting, this seems to be the sermon series that has really resonated with people. You know, the first week we talked about what it looks like to be carrying around the grudges and the things that are doing you damage and harm. The second week we looked at what it looks like to genuinely forgive people. Then we looked during week three at what it means to be forgiving toward God. Well, this week we're going to be looking at the idea of what do you do when the person that you need to forgive is yourself. What does that look like for you? What does it look like for me when there's something in my life where I might not think about it all the time? It might not constantly be there, always on the front of my mind, but there are times or circumstances where this particular thing or some trigger happens, and I think about a mistake that I've made in my past. So this is the question that we're asking today. What do you do when you have guilt over the past? Or maybe another way of phrasing it is, what do you do when the person you need to forgive is yourself? See, because that's a challenge for each and every one of us. There are things that we do. There are things that we say. There are opportunities in our lives where we make a choice and we choose to turn left or right. And when you make that choice to turn left or right, you're ultimately saying, I'm going to not go the other direction. And when you're trying to figure out what your life may have looked like at some point or another, you may start evaluating all of those turns you didn't take. And now there's a number of ways to break that down. And as I was thinking through my own life and how this has impacted me, I kept coming up with a two-word statement. If there were any universal truth about how we evaluate our lives and the things that we've done, this two-word statement is probably the biggie. It's probably the biggest of all of the things that when we're looking through our history that we keep coming up with. And here's what it is. If only. If only I had made this decision at that point in my life. Or if only I had made that decision over here. See, sometimes the if onlys that we're talking about are small things. Like if only I had learned how to play the guitar. Or if only I'd paid more attention in Spanish class, maybe I'd be fluent today. But those if-onlys, the ones about foreign languages and music, those aren't the ones that give you bad dreams sometimes. Those aren't the ones that you go through a situation and you end up walking into it and remembering how bad a circumstance felt. The if-onlys that we're talking about today are, if only I'd spent more time with my mom in that last year before she died. 
Or maybe it's further back than that even. If only that girl that loved me in high school, if I'd have returned the affection and been interested in her, maybe she wouldn't have gotten pregnant to the other guy and dropped out. There's a ton of if-onlys in your life and mine that we look back and sometimes we not only have guilt over, but we also have remorse over how it impacted our lives and the lives of all of the people around us because of the decisions that we made, whether we chose to turn left or right. The problem is, is that if you let if only, it will consume you. It will eat you alive. Because the more power you give, if only, the more distracted you become from the thing that you need to let go. So I want to ask you this morning, are you struggling with a past decision? Is there something where you're saying, you know what, this is a huge mistake that I made in my life. This is the one thing where if I had the ability to go back in time, that would be what I would change. That would be the one singular instance. Or maybe for some of you, it's, you know what, Pastor Matt, I'm going to tell you, I wish it was just one thing. But realistically, I've got a list a mile long of the things that if I could, I would go back and change that decision. The problem that we come across in the midst of that sort of thinking with the if-onlys and the shoulda, coulda, woulda ideas is when we get to that point, we end up choosing one of two directions to go with how it makes us feel. We choose to go down the road of guilt, or we choose to go down the road of shame. And regardless of what society tells you today, those two things are not the same. They simply are not. Guilt says, I did a bad thing. Every single one of us has been guilty of something whether it's breaking the speed limit, running a stop sign, whether it's breaking somebody's heart, speaking too harshly, replying too quickly whenever you really should have taken a moment and thought about what you were going to say. Guilt says I did a bad thing and I'm responsible for what happened. Guilt is something that can change you in the future. But shame isn't like that. Shame says I am a bad person. Shame is divisive. Shame takes root so deep inside your heart and your soul that it drives a wedge between who you are and who God designed you to be. And that's a very big difference, and it's a very big distinction between what you're looking at, whether you're guilty of something or whether you've done something and you have shame over the fact that it happened. See, for each and every one of us, we've had probably moments of both. Because there are moments where you acknowledge, you know what, I made the mistake here. I was in the wrong. I didn't do something that I should have done, or I did something that I shouldn't have done. With shame, it's a little bit deeper. It's a little bit 
different. Shame comes with extra baggage that you should not be made to carry. Think of it like this once. Guilt is I was angry with my kids over something simple. Maybe I had a bad day at work. Maybe something went wrong at the house, but I was angry with my kids. I'm guilty of that. That's something you could say I'm guilty of. Shame is I'm not worth loving. Shame is I've gone through so many things. I've made so many mistakes. I have made the wrong choice so many times that I am incapable of getting it right. And because of that, nobody will ever love me, including God. That's what shame looks like. That's what shame can escalate to if you don't keep an eye on the things that you're going through and grant yourself the forgiveness that God grants you when you confess the things that you've gotten wrong. See, because ultimately, as much as we want to compare guilt and shame and we want to think through how each of those work, there is something that guilt provides us. There is something that guilt can do for us that shame can't. And this is how that breaks down. Guilt brings about change, and shame brings about torment. When you have guilt about something, you feel bad enough to say, I don't want to do that again. I don't want to feel this way again. I don't want to be responsible for the thing that went wrong again. Shame, on the other hand, it's like being caught in the spin cycle of a washing machine where you're constantly bouncing up against, I did a terrible thing, I'm a horrible person, it was a bad idea, I did something awful, I'm a terrible person. You're constantly caught in the midst of that agitator cycle where you keep bouncing off against all of the things that you maybe have ever lived through and had happen as a mistake or sometimes as a willful choice that even after you've given it to God and said, God, I confess, I got this wrong, you still feel terrible. Or maybe it isn't even something like that. Maybe you're a person today who says, you know what, I don't believe in the whole God thing. I don't follow that. I don't believe what's going on here. I happen to be tuning into this today or listening to this later because a friend of mine said, hey, I want you to listen to my church. And if that's you, and you're someone who says, you know what, I don't buy the whole God thing, his forgiveness, I don't buy any of that. Okay, that may be where you are right now, but certainly you've had an instance in your life with someone else where you did something, you asked them for forgiveness, they forgave you, and you still kick yourself about what you had done. That's the human condition. That's who we are when we care about other people in our lives. So even if you can't relate to this on a God level, certainly you can relate to it on a person level. Because we've all made those mistakes. We've all had something that has occurred where in the midst of our struggle, in the midst of our challenge, we've done something to hurt somebody and we can't seem to let it go. So we're going to be taking a look at what the purpose is 
of guilt. We're going to be taking a look at how that progresses from being something that we did and we feel bad about to being something that we did, we feel bad about, and then we want to make change. So if you would, go ahead and open up your Bibles, or if you don't have a Bible, go ahead and open up another browser, and uh, we'll get you loaded on Bible Gateway or Bible Hub or one of those other websites that will give you the opportunity to follow along with the scripture we're going to be putting up this morning. If you don't have access to any of those things, it will be up here on the screen for you as well. We're going to be turning to the book of 2 Corinthians. That's in the second half of the Bible. It's in the part we call the New Testament. It's actually one of the letters written by Paul. And we're going to be starting in chapter 7, verse 10. Now, what we have here, to give you a little bit of background while you're kind of turning there, is Paul has written his second letter to the people of Corinth. And he starts off this chapter saying, hey, listen, the first letter that I sent you guys, it was harsh. It was cruel and it was hard for you to hear. I have no question. It was absolutely something where I had to say some pretty hard truths to get you to understand where you were going wrong, what you were getting wrong in your lives. But in the midst of that, if you ask me today, even though that first letter caused you pain, I don't regret sending it. I don't regret telling you what you were getting wrong because you needed to hear it. And by having you hear what you got wrong, it gave you the opportunity to change. It gave you the opportunity to improve. And it gave you a chance to understand exactly what needed to change in your lives because it was drawing you apart from God. So if you want to know what would cause Paul to say that about his first letter, I encourage you to go back and read 1 Corinthians because, frankly, Paul lights them up. He says, hey, you're getting this wrong, and you're getting this wrong, and you're getting this wrong. And he tells them exactly where they are. But here he's telling them something different. He's letting them know why God allows us to have sorrow, why God allows us to have guilt, why God allows us to go through that process. So starting at verse 10, let's take a look at what Paul says. For the kind of sorrow God wants us to experience leads us away from sin and results in salvation. So the sorrow that we feel when we do something wrong is what God uses to change us into what we need to become. Whenever we feel guilty over something, it's not just so that we're carrying around a big old backpack of emotional baggage. We have that so the choices that we'll make in the future will look different from the choices we've made in the past. In the second half of verse 10, Paul goes on to explain further. There's no regret for that kind of sorrow which means that's nothing to feel bad about. That's nothing to say, you know, it's a shame that I've got this type of sorrow. But worldly sorrow, which lacks repentance or the ability to say, I did something wrong, I'm going to stop doing something wrong, and I'm going to start doing what's right. That's what repentance means. Well, which lacks in repentance results in spiritual death. So what Paul is telling us here is the sorrow that you feel when you do something wrong and you feel guilty for it, 
Don't feel bad about that. That's basically God saying, hey, you made a mistake. I want to correct your behavior so you don't make that mistake again, and you can move forward out of that mistake and be a better person. Don't feel bad about that. But he says worldly sorrow, which is, man, I wish I hadn't done that, and then you go out and you do it again, and then you go out and you do it again, and you go out and you do it again, because you're not actively trying to make that change results in spiritual death. There's any number of things that we do that can fall under that umbrella. Now, most of you know what they are. You don't need me to tell you, but it's sexual sins. It's abuse of your own body kind of sins, alcohol, tobacco, things like that, where you are choosing not to obey the things that God has told you to do. You already know all of those. I don't need to go down that list. But when you continue to choose to do those things, that's the sorrow that you feel. That's the sorrow that says, you know what? I know that this isn't good for me, but I'm going to do it anyway. Or it's the sorrow that says, hey, do you mind if I do this? I know this might offend you, but I'm going to go ahead and do this because I do this for me. That's the type of sorrow that you feel. Where if it's not bringing any repentance, where it's not giving you the motivation to say, I need to stop what I'm doing, and I need to turn a different direction, it's a sorrow that's not bringing you any benefit, and it's going to lead to spiritual death. See, because ultimately, when we feel guilt, it motivates or should motivate change. When we feel shame, it leads to spiritual death. That's simply you going down a path and saying, this is what's going on. I need to change, and I'm going to make that effort. That's what guilt will drive you toward. Shame, on the other hand, is, again, the spin cycle. I'm a bad person. I did a bad thing. Nobody loves me. God can't forgive me. God won't love me. It's all of those things that you're constantly beating against the inside of the washing machine about over and over and over again. Now, we're going to look at two different people in the Bible because there's two different accounts that talk about these two individuals. One of them had guilt and chose what to do with it that was appropriate. And one of them had guilt that turned into shame and worldly sorrow and we're going to see what happened there as well. The two people are Peter, one of the disciples of Jesus, who had denied Jesus three times. On the night that Jesus was being tried and right before he was put to death, Jesus had told him, you will deny me three times before the rooster crows. And he did. Judas, on the other hand, was also at that same meal where Jesus had said, hey, listen, here's the stuff that's going to happen. Here are the things that are going to go on and one of you here is going to betray me. Judas was the one who betrayed Jesus and ultimately got him arrested, which led to his death. So let's take a look first at Peter and how that situation played out for him. We're going to be in the book of Luke. It's uh, chapter 22, verse 61b. Or sorry, 61a. At that moment, the Lord turned and looked at Peter. This is right after the rooster crowed, and Peter had denied him the third time. 
The Lord turned and looked at Peter. Suddenly, the Lord's words flashed through Peter's mind. Before the rooster crows tomorrow morning, you will deny three times that you even know me. Now, at that moment, when the Lord told Peter that, no, Lord, no, I'm with you through the end, thick and thin. It's you and me, man. It's the two of us, and we're going to go against all comers. We got this. Not the way it played out. And when Peter realized what had happened, and when he realized that what Jesus had said was true, and that the guy he said, I'm going to be there with you through thick and thin, knew that he had betrayed him, Peter's reaction would be likely the same as the reaction of all of us. Peter left the courtyard weeping bitterly. Weeping bitterly, just sobbing about the fact that he had made these mistakes, that he had done this to the God that he loved, to the Savior, to the Rabbi, to Jesus. He knew who he was. He knew why he was there. And he knew what was going on. And he still found a way to betray him in that manner. By saying, no, I don't even know who he is. You know, I I'm not with them. He's over there doing his thing. And when the third person says, yeah, I've seen you with him. I know you're a part of this. No, I tell you, I do not know him. See, Peter had guilt for doing something wrong. Because he had done something wrong. He lied to all of the people that had asked them. He denied Jesus in front of each of them. He had done something wrong. But ultimately, he changed. He ultimately realized, you know, I did this horrible thing, and I need to do something about it. I need to change. I need to do better. So, again, I'm going to kind of fast forward here to what happened next. Because after Jesus had died and risen again, he was spending time with the disciples. He knew that Peter still had this guilt over what had happened. He looked at Peter and said, Peter, do you love me? Peter said, of course I love you, Lord. Jesus said, so feed my sheep said to him again, Peter, do you love me? You know I love you, Lord. He said again, feed my sheep. He looked at Peter one last time and said, Peter, do you love me? At this time, Peter is like, I have told you I love you. Jesus looked at him again and said, feed my sheep. I don't think that there's any reason to assume that there's not a correlation between the three times that he denied Jesus and the three times he told Jesus that he loved him. And I know that when you look at the different translations, that the word love there is three different types of love. But I think ultimately, Jesus was giving Peter what he needed most in the midst of all of that. He was forgiving him as thoroughly as you can forgive somebody because he didn't want him to have that guilt any longer. And he wanted to make that perfectly clear. Now you turn to the other side of that and you look at Judas and you look at how 
all of the stuff that he had done played out. He had betrayed Jesus for 30 pieces of silver given to him by the Pharisees and the Sadducees, the chief priests and the elders. He turned Jesus over to them. And then here's how it played out for Judas in the book of Matthew, chapter 27, verse 3. Then Judas, his betrayer, the betrayer of Jesus, seeing that Jesus had been condemned, was full of remorse and returned the 30 pieces of silver to the chief priests and the elders. He said, I have sinned by betraying innocent blood, he said. So he threw the silver into the temple and departed. Then he went and hanged himself. Now, there's a gap in here where basically the chief priests and the elders said, hey, this is not our problem. You were hired to do a job. You were hired to tell us where Jesus was and identify who he was in that moment. You got paid. That's your money. This is your problem. It's not on us anymore. It didn't help Judas. It didn't give him the peace. It didn't give him the comfort. And it didn't bring him that ease of mind or atonement for his guilt that he was looking for. Because ultimately, to seek forgiveness, Peter went to Jesus. But Judas went to men. And there's a big difference because for each of us, as we're looking through how we do things and where we go, is there a need to ask for forgiveness from other people? Yes, we have covered that. Is there a need to ask God for forgiveness? Yes, we have covered that. But when you're trying to forgive yourself, who do you go to for help? You've got to take it to God. Because God is capable of saying, I'm going to bring you peace in that situation. I'm going to help you through that process. And then it gives you the opportunity to heal. Now, some of you may not know this. Some of you may. I want you to just kind of follow along here for a second. Here at Grace Fellowship, we are a campus of Grace Fellowship Lemersville. And Pastor Mark and I, we talk about what we're doing with each other's sermons and how we're going to be doing it and how we go through that process. And when we were talking about this one, he had a quote that I absolutely loved. And he said this, Scars don't have to remain scabs. Just stop digging at them. The things that you have that are your wounds that won't heal, leave them alone. You're not going to fix it by continuing to scratch at it and poke at it and keep running it through your mind and twisting it around inside that washing machine. You're not going to find peace there. But that scab can heal, and then it'll become a scar. And while the scar is still there, and there's still proof that there was an impact that it happened, it doesn't always have to keep causing you the same level of pain is what an open, scabbed-over sore might. And I loved this quote so much because as I thought about it, there are so many times that we say we're going to let something go, or we think that what we're doing is going to be beneficial for you or for me, and we walk away from those situations, and when we leave it behind, we say we're letting it go forever, but it's still constantly playing around 
in our minds. We can't let it go. We might say we're going to walk away from it, but we're still carrying it with us whatever, with whatever we're doing. And that's exactly what this is talking about. When you let it go, when you stop picking at it, and when you're ready to say, God, I want you to help heal this in my life, you need to give it over to him and let him handle it. Because he loves you and he wants to give you that. He wants to give you that peace and that comfort. You know, as I was kind of continuing to think through other, on the other aspects of how we are handling all of this, you know, I started thinking through what questions do we have that we need to ask ourselves? What are the questions that we need to have a good grip on the answers for so that when we do start wrestling with those things from our history, we've got a good idea on how to handle it? Because it's going to come up. There are things that you have experienced and things that you have done that as you look through them and as you walk through life, something is going to trigger that memory. And we have to have a game plan in place for what we do to fully give those over to God. And these are just a couple of the questions that I brought up, and I use them for our discussion questions for tomorrow night. And here's what the questions are. What events have occurred in that what events have occurred that you can't move past? What are the things that have come up where as you're thinking about it or you're going through it that you end up saying this is the stuff that has happened that I can't seem to get beyond? What are those things and what do they look like? What are the things that pop up in that manner for you and make you say, "You know what? This needs fixed. This needs to be corrected." This is something that I can take care of and that I can do to fix this problem. Question number two, do you still blame yourself even after you were forgiven? Do you still blame yourself for the fact that there have been things that you have done and things that you have said and ways of going about the stuff that you have needed to do in your life and you can't get beyond it? What do those things look like? What does it mean for your past, your present, and your future to say, I need to give up that blame. I need to let it go and stop carrying that guilt with me. And then question number three, what do you gain by holding on to that pain? What do you gain by holding on to it? What does it do for you to keep hanging on to something that God is saying, let go of this. Let go of it. I have forgiven you. They have forgiven you. What else do you need to be able to say, I don't have to hold on to this anymore? Do we want to keep walking around with that worldly sorrow that we talked about a bit ago? Or do we want to walk around saying, you know what? Yeah, I've made mistakes. I've had guilt for the things that I've done. And God knows me well enough to know that I need his forgiveness and that I need his grace. And by that, I have used that opportunity to change the things that I've done. If you can walk through and say, I've used guilt 
to change the things that have happened in my life, it shows tremendous personal and spiritual growth. But if all you have happening is walking through your day-to-day life and saying, I keep making these same mistakes, and I feel bad about it when it happens, but I'm not using that as a catalyst for change. I'm not using that as motivation to fix what I'm doing wrong. You miss the opportunities that God has been putting right in front of you to help you get better instead of bitter. God doesn't want that for you. He doesn't want that for me. He wants us to use our guilt as a catalyst for change. I think we can do that. I think we can get through and make that happen. Might not end up happening all during this week. It may not end up happening as quickly as you're hoping that it does, but we can use that opportunity to have a catalyst for change. You don't have to keep making the same mistakes. You don't have to keep walking down the same road time and time again. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. God, I just want to thank you so much for the opportunities that we have been given. Lord, you bless us in ways that we can't even describe. And in the midst of all of that, you use the things that we sometimes look as painful to guide us through to what's next. God, we know that we have been living in sorrow and sin. We can't seem to move past it. We can't seem to rip off all of that guilt, all of that shame, all of that, all of the things that keep weighing us down. But we know that Jesus paid the penalty for all of that, and that forgiveness is ours if we just take it and we can let go of all of those things that keep wanting to hold us back. God, give us the opportunity today. Give us the chance to say, God, we need that level of forgiveness, not only from you or maybe from the people that are around us, but God, also from ourselves. God, thank you again for everything that you've given us, everything that you've blessed us with. We're grateful and we appreciate all of it. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Thank you guys so much for joining us. I invite you to come right back here next week. Don't forget, we are open now and live each Sunday in person. If you want to join us in the building, it's Sunday mornings at 11 a.m. If you guys can make it, great. And if you can't, we're going to be continuing to meet online every Sunday. Have a blessed week. Take care.